1: Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only. They're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630. Excludes active.
2: Welcome to Real Jam Radio, I'm Danny Lurie, your host, so happy to have you with us. This is a special episode of Real Jam Radio because it is a roundtable discussion with all of the podcasters, the basketball podcasters, for Blog Talk Radio. It's a strong group, Chris Sheridan, publisher and editor of Sheridan Hoops, Nate Duncan, host of the Dunked On podcast, great writer, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown, and myself, and it's moderated by Adam Stanko of the Great Point podcast, and so it's the... Five of us talking about where the season's going to go, what we looked at, what we're looking forward to, and it was, it was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. A
3: special edition podcast for Blog Talk Radio. Some of the brightest minds in NBA
1: analysis have composed an impressive roundtable to preview the NBA season, and then there's me. I'm Adam Stanko, host of the Great Point Podcast. My Twitter handle is at Naismith Lives. and joining me on the panel, Chris Sheridan, publisher and editor-in-chief of SheridanHoops.com and host of the Sheridan Hoops Radio Podcast. Chris, welcome.
4: Hey, thanks, Adam.
1: Nate Duncan, NBA expert, writer at the Cauldron, and host of the Dunked On Podcast. His Twitter handle is at NateDuncanNBA. Nate, glad to have you.
5: Good to be here, gentlemen.
1: Danny LaRue, sports writer and podcast host for Real GM, salary cap CBA writer for Sporting News, lead writer for Warriors World and curator of Real GM CBA Encyclopedia, Danny LaRue's Twitter handle is at Danny LaRue. Danny, glad to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. And finally, it's Coach Nick Houselman, NBA Breakdown expert and host of the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. His Twitter handle is at B-Ball Breakdown. Coach Nick, good to have you on.
0: Thanks. As we say in these parts,
1: I am in. Awesome. Well, we already have some the big breaking NBA news to get to. We've got a ton of stuff. We'll talk expectations in both conferences, some award predictions, and then some other things that people are taking as gospel. And I want to see if you guys think these things are true. But first, we have to start out with the biggest news in the NBA, and that's Jimmer for Jack getting waved by the Spurs. No, um, <laughs> so it's Tristan Thompson, five years, $82 million. Chris Sheridan, what can you tell us about this deal and, and your thoughts on this?
4: Look, props to Rich Paul, the agent, for for getting Tristan Thompson that kind of money. You know, to take it this far, all the way to, uh, to October 21st when the deal gets done. Uh, after after having his guy out out there all summer as a restricted free agent who didn't get any offer sheets, um, and then who's a guy who who might not play that many minutes this year to get him that close to the max. That's only about eight million dollars shy of the max. That's a hell of a job uh, on on his part, and it, it shows also that the Cavs are willing to do what it takes to keep LeBron James happy, even if it costs them uh, a boatload of Dan Gilbert's dollars uh, in, in luxury tax payments. Um, but Rich Paul, you know, I've, I've been one of his harshest critics all summer. Like, he's doing he's doing his guy a big disservice here because as nice of an NBA Finals as Tristan uh, Thompson had, uh, you know, with all the offensive rebounds he grabbed, he didn't put any of those offensive rebounds back. He kicked them out and started new possessions. The, the guy can't score from outside of five feet. He can't hit a foul shot. He's about as much of a one-trick pony as there's been in the NBA since Dennis Rodman, um, and and he's not the player that Dennis Rodman was. Um, for him to be seeking a max deal was was you know out of the realm of uh, of good sense, just as, as far as I saw it. But. You know, Rich Paul stuck to his guns, kept ha- holding out and holding out for a high, high number. And to get that guy five years and $82 million is a heck of a deal because, I mean, let's face it. Look, if Anderson Barajow is back this year. And if he stays healthy and, and plays 82 games, they're going to use him more than Kristen Thompson. And they also brought in Sasha Kahn, the 30-year-old rookie from Russia, who, who David Blatt had, had, had coached when he was overseas. And, and Sasha Kahn may, may very well be the backup behind Timothy Moskoff at center. You know, Tristan Thompson's not that great of a defender. It, you know, maybe a little more at the four than he is at the five. Uh, but Sasha Kahn might be the guy getting the backup minutes at the five. So if you have Varajal and Khan as your two primary big backups, where does Tristan Thompson get his minutes? Um, and You know, it, he may not get them. Even though he played 82 games last year, he might not see eight of two games uh, this season because he's, he's just so low on the depth chart. So, you know, great money. Congratulations to Tristan Thompson for getting paid. Congratulations to Rich Paul for getting this client uh, that much money. Uh, but I'm not a big Tristan Thompson fan as far as being a multi-skilled player. And I don't think that many people in the NBA are. So, um, it it's certainly an interesting piece of news that, that the Cavs, I think Cavs uh, ownership and Cavs leadership caved on this one because $82 million over five years for a guy with, with that limited amount of offensive ability is, a, I, I think, a, a vast overreach
1: in terms of paying him
4: uh, what he's worth.
1: Nate Duncan, you're uh, an NBA cap expert. What did you think about the uh, the financials on this deal?
5: You know, it's interesting. I always like to think of deals in terms of internal leverage and external leverage. The external leverage that Tristan Thompson had wasn't <laughs> that much, right? As Chris noted, he couldn't get an offer sheet for the amount he was seeking somewhere else on the open market. He probably isn't worth this deal, even the five years, 82 million, not to mention the max that they were seeking. But internal leverage is also important and the Cavs really need him. I respectfully disagree with Chris on what is important to the team He's probably uh, their best defensive big man when you consider his ability to switch. That was something that was really important in that Hawks series uh, where they totally shut down the Hawks also uh, against the Bulls. He was really effective defensively and his offensive rebounding obviously is important. He does have some limitations. He's not a max player in a vacuum, but I think that although they may not have even needed him to get to the finals, they weren't going to win the NBA championship without him and what he brings defensively because they have other guys on defense who just aren't as versatile as he is. So I think it was uh, a really important resigning. And granted, it was only 2 million more than what their offer really was on the first day of free agency. So I actually think the Cavs kind of won this one ultimately. And that this extra 2 million was kind of just a way for uh, them to stay face, but Rich Hall didn't miscalculate either because uh, he didn't let the qual He let the qualifying offer expire. People thought they would take their offer off the
1: table and they obviously did not. Danny, anything to add to what Nate just said there?
3: The only thing I'll mention is the idea of replacement, where the Cavs were kind of situationally is that they had so much money committed to LeBron and Love and Kyrie and Anderson Vergeau that they couldn't really go into the open market this year or next year to get a replacement. So not only are they getting somebody who fits with both Love and Mozgov imperfectly at points, but, you know, as well as they could expect, was that with their given situation, they couldn't have functionally replaced him. So, yeah, they are spending some more of Dan Gilbert's money, but they're not losing really any flexibility other than that. And it is also interesting that he ended up settling on five – it's reported, I think Brian Windor said this, that it's five years, no options. And that's compelling because a lot of guys have tried to get fifth-year player options or something like that. And so maybe that's what he wanted generally, or maybe the Cavs, that was kind of their concession in that way is that he didn't get what Love got with the fifth year. And, Coach Nick, just from
1: a playing perspective, in terms of the chemistry that Chris was alluding to before, I mean, there's been questions about whether Tristan Thompson can coexist with Kevin Love. How do you see it playing out now that we know that Thompson's under contract?
0: Well, it's funny because from a coaching perspective, I would love this kind of player who really hustles and creates a lot of extra possessions, which are really valuable, especially deep in the playoffs. Um, But I I had a hard line all summer saying he's simply not worth a max, he's not worth what you know. Um, Draymond Green is going to get paid for what he does for that team. So, however, you know, listening to how Nate described it, I, I'd be worried if he was going to try and sell me some beachfront property in Alaska because I might actually buy it then too. The way he phrased it, because he, you know, there, there is a, a real value there to a guy, especially when you have, uh, you know, I like to assume that players won't get injured. You know, I know that they, people have histories, and some of them, like, very job, you know, goes down all the time. But I don't know. He, looked, he looks fine to me in the preseason. And, and if he can play the way he would normally do, they wouldn't even need Tristan Thompson at all, in my opinion. So, you know, I do know he gives a little bit more versatility. He can guard smaller guys in the perimeter on switches. And that's great. But, again, I just, I'm just scratching my head. I, it's hard to imagine him worth even as much money as they ended up paying him. Chris, I want to go back to you.
1: We saw what LeBron did in the finals without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Love, and now you go to a situation in which those guys are back entering this season that that roster seems to be loaded. Uh, What are your expectations for LeBron? And you were the guy that called it, Chris, initially, LeBron going back to Cleveland. What are your expectations for LeBron this season with this Cavs roster?
4: This is the start of not one, not two, not three, this team is going to win a championship um, and, and they're rightfully the favorites to win the championship. Um, nobody in the East who's, you know, who can play with them got better. The Hawks got worse. I, I think maybe the Heat got a little bit better if they stay healthy because they got the steal of the draft in Justice Winslow. But their health, again, is a, is a huge question mark. Dwayne Wade, you know, did the over-under on him uh, games played, it's going to be probably somewhere around 60. Um, but the Cavs should be able to sail through the East. And and then they're going to play somebody who's coming out of the West that has you know gone through the wars because there's nine ten good teams out of the, in the West and, and and as we saw last year uh, in the playoffs, it didn't really matter where they were group one through eight they were they were all there were eight good teams in the playoffs in the West whereas it, you know in the East you had the Celtics in there you know um, it, it, just the disparity in, in strength between the conferences is 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 so acute uh, the Cavs are coming out they're coming out this year they're coming out next year they're coming out the year after that. We'll go to Cleveland every June, guys. That's what, that's the way it's going to be covering the NBA for the next couple of years. So my expectation is that it's time to win a championship. The, this team made it that far last year, you know, without Kyrie and without Kevin um, being available throughout the entire playoffs, and they had to rely on Matthew Dellavedova. And we saw that, you know, he's a 10 minute player. He's not a 42 minute player. But this year they they brought in Mo Williams, and you know that's a that's a significant upgrade. At, at the backup point guard position. They didn't lose any major pieces. Um, they, they've got Barry Jow back. And, uh, you know, like one of the guests said, it, it he's looked good in the preseason. They brought Richard Jefferson in. They got rid of some of their dead wood from last year, the, you know, the Mike Millers and the Kendrick Perkins of the, of the world. And this team is built with a lot of depth at every single position. Um, they should be able to better withstand injuries uh, than, than they than they did last year. And even though, you know, they had significant ones last year, they made it all the way to the NBA Finals. There's no excuse for them not winning the championship, other than if they're outplayed by a better team. And with the strength, you know, of, of so many teams out West, they could very well run into a better team, but they should be the fresher team come the NBA Finals.
1: Okay, with that being said, Danny LaRue, who is the biggest challenger to the Cavs in the Eastern Conference?
3: I think it's Chicago. It it depends with all these teams. We're going to have to say if they stay healthy, but assuming that for all the teams, because what Chicago brings is they have depth in the front court. They have talent in the front court, even if they make another move and kind of clear somebody out. But also they have a guy who can defend LeBron pretty well and Jimmy Butler. So it will take Derrick Rose being close to Derrick Rose to make them at their best. But I think they're the best challenge either way, because they have ways of mitigating some of the best things Cleveland can do and they have strengths of their own. Nate Duncan, how about you?
1: Yeah, I think the Bulls still have
5: the highest upside of this group. Uh, they probably have the most talent in the aggregate. Maybe you could throw Miami into that as well. But you don't necessarily trust that they are going to be healthy. I I still think, though, that the my prediction is during the regular season, the Cavs will not get the number one seed just because of how many injuries they have right now. Uh, with Kyrie and Juan Shumpert, there's talk that needed those guys will be back before – the new year, and uh, they have plenty of other guys who are kind of injury risk as well. I think they're going to try to toddle down LeBron's minutes. So, although it's hard to predict which team is going to do better during the regular season, I think someone among the Raptors, Wizards, Heat, Bulls, and with, among that group, is going to finish a few games ahead of Cleveland, but then just lose to them in the playoffs. However, I would make Cleveland a significant underdog against Whoever comes out of the West, partially health related and partially related to the fact that they haven't proven they can defend at elite level with Kevin Love for yet.
1: All right, so we're here we're here in Bulls and we're here in Coach Nick Raptors Heat Wizards Hawks. Any of those teams stand out as a, a major contender to you? The Bulls. You know
0: the, the improvement they made just to talk about them for one second is on, is the coaching. And what they're doing on offense that we broke down is much more exciting and much more threatening to other teams. I think the biggest issue Hoyford is going to have is who to play with whom, and that's always a, the, probably the hardest thing to do as a coach. The thing that I see across the rest of the East, you know, I, I feel, you know, I know that uh, Lowry looks better. He's in better shape, and he's been really killing it uh, in the preseason. I'm still not sold on what they do with Dwayne Casey. But I do feel like the Wizards might have a shot. They've sort of opened up their offense a little bit more and made it you know, a little bit more free form so that those guys can really create off the uh, on their own. Um, and I think that that's going to be an interesting threat because they have a lot of different pieces and they have a lot of talent, in different spots. And, you know, Otto, Otto Porter started to show that maybe, the, you know, the, the, the old man Paul Pierce version they had isn't, you know, going to hurt them by h- him leaving to the Clippers. So I don't know. I, I would keep my eye on the Wizards for a little while there to see, because, you know, if they could stay a little healthy as
1: well, then, you know, they have they have some really terrific players. Now you look a- around the rest of the Eastern Conference, and you got the Bucks, the Pacers, Celtics, Nets, Hornets, Magic, Knicks, Pistons. It seems like all of those rosters are either young or they're a hodgepodge of unique players. Intriguing, you know, very very loosely uh, used term there to describe those those rosters. Chris, any of those teams stand out to you as a team that's really headed in the right direction?
4: Well, headed in the right direction, sure. Uh, headed toward contending for the Eastern Conference title, no, I, I, I wouldn't say any of them are even close. But, you know, I, I really like the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, it, it, the pickup of Greg Monroe was was huge. You know, this was a team that was using Ersan Silva last year at the four. Um, they were able to dump him on Detroit, and uh, and and they were able to pick up Greg Monroe. Plus, they got Jabari Parker coming back. Um, they, they were able to keep Chris Middleton. Uh, I, I like the pickup of a, a Grievous Vasquez as a, as a backup point guard. Um, he, he may be actually a better player than, than Michael Carter-Williams. There's no arguing with what Jason Kidd did last year. He turned a 15-win team in, into a playoff team. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the sky's kind of the limit there with uh, with with what they've built uh, in terms of having a, a really great young core and, and a, probably a future all-star in the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I think the Milwaukee Bucks can can surprise a lot of people this season. Kind of, maybe not to the same degree that the Atlanta Hawks did last year, where they won 60 games and, and had the best record in the Eastern Conference. But uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be a, a, a damn good team, a damn good team, and uh, and and not a lot of people are talking about them.
1: Danny Larue, I know recently on Twitter you've been discussing the the Boston Celtics and their current situation. What are your expectations for the Celtics this
3: year? I think that they'll be a, a, the type of team that can win a lot of games. I don't think that they'll be particularly relevant in the postseason, but I feel pretty confident that they'll get there. What what suits them so well is not only do they have a strong coach in Brad Stevens, but they have a lot of talent. And as Ian Levy wrote today, the nice thing about them is they don't they won't play any bad players. So their their rotation is deep in that sense, and that is, especially in the current Eastern Conference. That can get you a long way. It won't get you a lot of playoff series wins, but you can get a lot of regular season wins. And I don't see any shame in that. That's you know, that's a, a meaningful accomplishment for a team that has, you know, struggled for relevance to a degree since they lost their previous core. And Nate, how about you for those teams that aren't
1: necessarily contending in the East? Any of those individual teams stand out to you as the one you're gonna keep an eye on this year, either for the good or for the bad? You mentioned teams that are headed in
5: the right direction. I would say that most of the East falls into that category other than the Nets, Hornets, and Knicks. The Nets obviously gave up draft picks to the Celtics, either swap rights or unprotected picks over the next three years in the KG Paul Pierce trade. And they're going to have cap space this summer, but come play with Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young, it's probably not going to be incredibly persuasive to what's a weak free agent class anyway. The Hornets, Uh, had some chances to draft high upside players back when they were bad. And instead of going with New Orleans Noel or Andre Drummond, they went with kind of lower upside guys in Zeller and MKG. They've made some moves recently as well that are kind of just chasing the eighth seed type of moves. They traded their number nine pick last year, Noah Vonley, to get Nicola Batum. And now that MKG is out for the year, they're probably not going to make the playoffs anyway, and they're going to have to either let – Batum go or massively overpay to keep him and then the Knicks as well I thought that they could have done better with the Porzingis pick Uh, I don't think uh, he has quite the upside that everyone else thinks and and Emmanuel Moutier would have been a much better pick there as someone who I think can be a future star I think Porzingis kind of tops out more as kind of a nice starter because I don't think he has the individual ball skills to really be a great scorer so I think that those teams don't really have a great path to getting back to uh, relevance. But I
1: like what most of the rest of the East is doing. Coach Nick, anything you want to add about the Eastern Conference teams that might not be necessarily contending? Uh, Well, you know,
0: I'm anxious to see the Knicks because, you know, they got a lot of um, tourists, as we call it in the uh, the trade, for uh, how they ran their offense. And obviously I'm a triangle offense coach. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to see – you know, a little bit more of what a modern version of the offense looks like when they actually have NBA players running it. So I suspect that they're going to be better um, and, and actually be maybe better than people think. So that's the one thing I, I'm interested in looking at. And then Orlando was the kind of team, when I watched them last year, I would just scratch my head and think, you know, why aren't they better than they are? And so it's possible that maybe they kind of start to figure it out and start knocking on the door and really becoming a problem, you know, for other teams. And that would be the other team I'd watch for. I would I would just weigh in
4: with, with one other team to keep an eye on um, is a team that might have the rookie of the year, Stanley Johnson, and, and that's the Detroit Pistons. You know, Stan Van Gundy has turned over this roster about 80% since he came in, and that's that's a heck of a, of a turnover in, in the space of one year. They're a completely different team than, than what they uh, started, you know, roster-wise uh, and skill-wise than what they started last year with. Um, Stan's got a lot of guys coming off the bench who can shoot the three ball. And we we remember how good his Orlando teams were when they had a dominant big man inside and a bunch of guys who could space the floor outside and, and, and bang down threes. Uh, they were able to keep Reggie Jackson. They have got to figure out what they're going to do with Brandon Jennings. But he's not a bad trade candidate around the deadline. But, you know, Andre Drummond is a heck of a player. Uh, Andre Drummond's probably the best center that people don't give credit to for being a great center. And, and he is a great center. Now is he as good as Dwight Howard? No, but it, his numbers last year compared to Dwight's were were pretty much equivalent. Um, they they picked up Marcus Morris from the from the Suns for for nothing, and uh, and and like I said, Stanley Johnson, here's a kid who he, he started all four years at modern day High School in 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 LA, and all four years they won the state championship. Um, it, you know he was the best player on Arizona's last year. And uh, when, when the NBA brought in all the rookies this year for the rookie transition program, they polled them and they asked them, hey, uh, among your peers, who do you think is going to win rookie of the year? And the guy who was who was picked was Stanley Johnson. So keep an eye on the Pistons. There's there's definitely a lot of room for them to move up and not a lot of competition for good competition for them to overtake. I, I think they're a sleeper team for being uh, someone, you know, a team that can go maybe uh, to the sixth or, or even the five seed in the East.
1: I'm with you. I'm a big Stanley Johnson fan. NBA body, even though he was just a freshman last year. Sean Miller taught him how to play defense. He can score from outside and he just bullies people inside. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Nate Duncan, as we move over to the Western Conference now, unlike the East, in which we have a clear favorite, some contenders, and then a whole bunch of teams you know aren't going to be anywhere near the top of the pack, the West is it's just simply loaded. I mean, it's hard to figure out who's going to even be in the playoffs and then who's going to be your one seed, the one and five seeds could be separated just by a a small number of games. We know what the Warriors did last year, but the Spurs adding LaMarcus Aldridge and David West, you've got the Rockets adding Ty Lawson, the Clippers are deeper and DeAndre Jordan returns to them. So, Nate, who do you think wins the Western Conference? So the team that...
5: Last year isn't the clear favorite to you?
1: Uh, you tell me. You think so?
5: I, I I think they are. I think that you know that they haven't had the greatest preseason in the world, but this team was awesome last year and they won 67 games. Had you know one of the few teams in NBA history to have a 10 plus point differential. Uh, number two in offense, uh, number one in defense by points per possession. Last year they're last- bringing everyone back. Really everyone should probably uh, be better on this team uh, with the exception of Bogut and Iguodala considering where they're at in their careers age-wise. So, yeah, I think that they are the clear favorite. These other teams have put together some really nice pieces, and I do think it's going to be a dogfight. I don't think they're going to be, you know, just running away with it necessarily like last year, but they have to be the favorites until proven otherwise uh, because they won 67 games last year, and these other teams could theoretically get to that level but they haven't yet, and we know that this team can get to that level.
3: Danny LaRue, you agree with that? I do. I, I think especially when we're talking about the Western Conference, the, what the Warriors did last year can't be discounted. Not only did they win 67 games, but they did it in a dominant oh. way. They, out, they outscored opponents by double digits. Their their margin was it uh, was over 10. And that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, they're a lot to walk to into the title or anything, but They are the favorites, and while I like a lot of the other teams, and while those teams can be dangerous in a seven-game series, especially when we're talking about the idea of who's going to end up with the one seed, while we can't guarantee health, we can't guarantee anything like that, I think the Warriors are the favorite for that by a margin. And then each individual series, we're going to kind of have to take it as they come. But the important lesson here for me with the West is, Getting in is fine, but you want to make sure that you're right when you get into it because almost every team, if not every team, is going to have a tough series in every round. So you need to make sure that you're physically ready for that as opposed to battling for the three seed versus the six or something like that. You just want to make sure that you're right when you get in because you're going to be in for a war every single round. Chris, how about for you?
4: Look, there's no arguing with with Golden State, 67 wins last year and their, their proficiency from uh, uh, from three-point range. and you know, they, they exploit the best weapon in the NBA, which is the, the three-point shot. And, you know, I, I like the move they made uh, uh, picking up Jason Thompson from uh, from Philadelphia for Gerald Wallace who the Sixers' cut. I can't understand that one from the Sixers' point of view. But Jason Thompson, look, he was a guy who played center in college. He was an undersized center in college. So he he can play uh, the five spot uh, as well as the four spot in the NBA. And and you know, I think he's a better player than Festus and Elliot and, and – he's a nice insurance policy in case Bogut gets hurt for when Bogut gets hurt. Um, they should definitely be considered the favorite. Uh, what makes me wonder about them is are, are they hungry? They didn't look hungry in the finals in the first three games when they were down 2-1. They looked like they had already uh, crowned themselves the champions. And then, you know, then Andre Aguidala happened and everything, uh, everything changed. And that's why they're, they're the defending champs. But, you know, you start looking from, from one to seven maybe, um, and every, every every team that you see, you can make a case that they're, they're legit, and they're gonna—they could definitely win. Houston added Ty Lawson; they got him for nothing. The LA Clippers added Paul Pierce and, and a whole bunch of other really good bench players. You know, Pablo Prigioni is a, is a pretty damn good guy to bring off the bench and be a pest for ten minutes a night. And, and to spell uh, Chris Paul, Lance Stevenson, you don't know what you're gonna get. But for a team that was playing six and a half players in the in, in the playoffs last year, for of the Clippers really addressed their number one need. Um, San Antonio, they're the favorite among the, the odd makers. But who's their center? Aaron Baines is gone. Tiago Splitter is gone. Tim Duncan is not a center. LaMarcus Aldridge is not a center. when Marjanovic is a rookie. You know Who knows what he's going to bring. Um, you got to go up against the DeAndre Jordans and the Dwight Howards of the world in that conference. Um, it, that's no easy task. And it, I, I think San Antonio still needs to go out and find a way to, to get themselves a center. They're going to be as good as they always are but in a playoff matchup, is there going to be a big that can knock them out? Um, I, I think that's a, the big question with them. Uh, and then Oklahoma City, you know, you, you can't discount a team that's got Russell Westbrook and, and Kevin Durant uh, playing with Enos Cantor. Those, those three never got to play together last year. And let's not forget Serge Ibaka as well. Uh, you know, that, that's four great pieces and a very strong starting lineup. And we saw Russell Westbrook look, look like the best player in the universe over the last month and a half of the season last year after after the All-Star break you know, putting up crazy numbers of triple-doubles. Um, and, and look, Kevin Durant's back. And Kevin Durant, when healthy, is going to lead the league in scoring. That's all there is to it. If he stays healthy, and um, Oklahoma City can finish number one in the West. But I think one real interesting thing to watch is if Oklahoma City, if, if they stumble and, and they're not where they want to be at the end of January, early February, don't be surprised if, uh, if Jay-Z puts in a call to Sam Presky and says, you got to trade him. You got to trade my guy KD because he's going to leave when he becomes a free agent. And if you don't trade him now, you're going to get nothing for him. So uh, no team has, has more riding uh, on this season than, than Oklahoma City does. And probably no executive has more riding on the season than, than Sam Presti does. And and no coach has more pressure on him uh, than, than Billy Donovan does. So Oklahoma City is a very very interesting story. But it, it, it look if they stay healthy and they stay right. They could, they could win the conference. They could have a better record than Golden State. And, and there's not a lot of people saying that, but I
1: like that team at full strength. Chris, before I move on to the other guys, I just got to ask you about that point. Kevin Durant, if Oklahoma City does not win a title this year, will he be playing for the Thunder next year?
4: No way. Absolutely not. He's going
1: he's gonna to go out there
4: and he's going to say, you know what? We could have had a dynasty. We, we could have had a dynasty. We had the best shooting guard in the league. We had James Harden, myself, and Russell. And ownership didn't want to pay the luxury tax. Uh, And so they went and traded James Harden for nothing. And they broke up our big three. They broke up what could have been a dynasty. And we should be counting the the championship trophies on our mantle right now. And instead we got none. And it's time for me to move on and have a fresh start with a franchise that cares more about winning than paying the luxury tax. And uh, I could see Kevin Durant walking away from Oklahoma City and never looking back very easily. Now, if they win a championship, I think there's a very strong possibility he comes back and says, you know what, I want to get Russell to come back a year from now, too, when his contract is up, and and I want to try to put together multiple titles. But, you know, as things stand now, they made a disastrous, disastrous decision in giving away James Harden, uh, a guy who uh, got my MVP vote last year, and a guy who could have led them to multiple titles uh, by now had they made the right decision uh, at that time.
1: Coach Nick, I want to ask you about the Spurs. How do you see this LaMarcus Aldridge, David West, front court tandem? We just heard Chris refer to them not having a center. How do you think that all plays out from a coaching perspective?
0: Well, uh, to address what Chris said about who's going to guard Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan, I could say it's, it's, a pretty, uh, it's pretty safe to say that the Spurs are not worried about having to guard them. I think that someone like David West can guard Dwight Howard and his poor footwork in the post. DeAndre jordan's footwork or his post is 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 non-existent as well they have to be worried about the lobs but these guys are smart and positional defenders and and tim duncan so i don't think that they're worried at all about that i think they're much more concerned with houston as far as spraying the floor and guarding their shooters and all the speed they have now with guy like uh, ty lawson so i think that's a non-factor that said i think that houston is they might be the dark horse favorite in my book to, to actually get to the finals, but you know, the Spurs, and then, then the Spurs are going to pose their own issues with the, for the other team. So I would be, uh, I would be very concerned for the rest of the rest of the Western conference coming back, especially because when all is said and done, everyone's weighed in with their talent. They have Popovich on the bench. And even though I think he got a little bit, uh, he got a little bit tripped up on his own intelligence there with the hack of DeAndre, which I think ended up costing them that series. Uh, I, there's no question he's going to look at that, and they're going to learn. They're going to figure that out. And I don't think he'll he'll get out coached
1: uh, in this year. So, Danny, if we assume that the, the Warriors, the Rockets, Clippers, Grizzlies, and Thunder all are going to make the Western Conference playoffs, can you give me another team that you would be sure is also going to get in?
3: I'm closest on New Orleans because I feel like the top six are there. But the challenge with them is – are they deep enough to withstand the injuries they already have? They're, they're a good team. They're, they're definitely, to me, in that group. They're, they're one of the most talented teams. They have Anthony Davis, who is an elite individual player. I don't know that I would say like that I'm sure they're going to get in, but they're definitely the closest.
1: Chris, who do you think, outside of the Warriors, Rockets, Clippers, Grizzlies, and Thunder, is also a lock to make the Western Conference playoffs?
4: Well, if I would have a title it knew who the lock was, I, I, I wouldn't be living in New York. I'd be living in Las Vegas and counting all my money. But uh, if I if, if I think there's a team out there that everybody's sleeping on uh, in the West that can they can crack the top eight, kind of like what New Orleans did last year, I, it's the Sacramento Kings. Great coach, George Carl. Just a great coach. Number one center in the NBA in my book, in uh, in the Marcus Cousins. Uh, Rajon Rondo's got a lot, of, lot to prove and – probably one more chance to to get a a big contract you know this guy this guy was looking at a max deal going uh one year ago uh when we were looking ahead to summer 15 free agency and he ended up taking nine and a half million dollars to go play for the Kings. he's got to restore his reputation we know that when he plays at his at his peak he's a you know he's a player unlike any anybody else at his position in the nba can george carl you know bring the best out of him George has done it with a lot of a lot of other players. They had a nice uh, draft pick in, in Willie Cauley-Stein. Um, and I like that they have Kosta Coopers backing up uh, um, Demarcus Cousins. And Rudy Gay. People don't realize that he had the best uh, year of his career last year. The Sacramento Kings could very easily make the playoffs if they if they all play to their potential and they avoid the drama that comes with having players that are as volatile as Cousins and and, and Rondo on their team. You know, one one of the guys I, I neglected to mention is uh, is Marco Bellinelli. Sacramento needed three point shooting. Bellinelli comes from a championship culture in in San Antonio. You know, he could be in the in, in the race for most improved player this year if he's up in the high thirty minutes per game uh, uh, area. So uh, keep an eye out on the Sacramento Kings. And if you do gamble and and you really like the Sacramento Kings, you can get tremendous odds on them to to win the the Western Conference title this season.
1: Coach Nick. Kobe Bryant is too old and the rest of the Lakers are too young to do any damage in the West. Is this a true statement?
0: I think that, you know, damage could be a relative term. I've sort of enjoyed watching them in the preseason uh, out here in LA. And uh, I love Jordan Clarkson. I think, you know, he is primed to become a really good combo guard. Um, Kobe, it looks like Kobe for some of these moments. And if they really can keep him to, you know, he shouldn't, I don't think he should play more than 25 minutes a game. And if they can keep him anywhere around there, then he actually, I think, could help. I think Julius Randle is just a a beast and should be a double-double machine. So, um, you know, they're going to have those runs in each game where they're going to, like, you know, cause problems for teams. Will it sustain through 48 minutes? Will they win a lot of those games? Like, probably not. But I think at some point with those young legs, you know, in those March games, they might run up against one of these, you know, older teams that are supposed to be better, and they give them a real good run for their money in those little, you know, minor spurts that you see. So I think they're going to be entertaining. Uh, they're going to be fun. I mean, we just saw a really fun, great play that Byron Scott drew up on a fake handoff for Ryan Kelly on a dunk to win the game. I mean, you know, they they almost blew it on a, on a boneheaded plate before that. But, you know, there, there's some excitement there. And I think that, you know, they're going to win You know, they're going to win 30 games, I think.
1: All right, let's talk about another team that may not make the playoffs but have uh, an exciting wing player as well, and that's uh, the T-Wolves with Andrew Wiggins. Danny LaRue, Andrew Wiggins, is he ready to uh, take that superstar step this year?
3: I don't think so, partially because he's young and partially because I think that the the jump that you're talking about is normally considered an offensive one, not a defensive one. I think that he will be a much better defender this year. He's a very good athlete, and something that we've learned, especially with young guys going into the NBA, is that the knowledge that you get, especially with the veterans they have, that a year of that will help a lot. But offensively, he doesn't – to me, and this is true watching FIBA Americas as well, where he played for Team Canada – he doesn't have a jump shot that's reliable enough or a handle that's tight enough to become that level of player. But if we're willing to talk about him as, you know, a guy who can make an, a major impact on the defensive end and be, be better offensively, you know, maybe a, an early proto Kawhi Leonard type guy, if you consider that a step up, then he can absolutely do that. But I want to see the offensive game before I pronounce anything in terms of that sort of impact. Nate Duncan, your thoughts on Andrew Wiggins?
5: Yeah, I agree with Danny. I think that this is going to be maybe kind of a consolidation year for Wiggins. And pretty much I totally parrot his points on this one. I think that we're not going to see him sort of in all-star contention, especially because his team's probably not going to be that good as well. They have a lot of talent there, but I don't think that they have quite the offensive intelligence or the spacing to really take a leap forward. And also that defensively they're still going to struggle with so many young guys So I don't see him uh, kind of at the Derrick Rose second year, Anthony Davis second year. We're talking about him as maybe a lower rung all-star. I think it's going to take some more time for him uh, if, in fact, he does get to that superstar level still.
1: Chris Sheridan, is there a young player in the league that you think is ready to take the jump to the superstar level that we haven't really been talking about? Well,
4: I I, I think – more and more people are going to come to see Anthony Davis as, as, as a true, true stu, uh, superstar. You know, here, here's a guy at, at that size who can who can handle the rock, who can shoot free throws at 80%. Um, he's been working on his three-point shot all summer. Anthony Davis can do it all, um, and, and he plays for a team that's fun to watch but plays at a very small market and gets very little national exposure in the Pelicans. Um, if the Pelicans can can kind of fight off this early preseason injury bug and and play as well as they played last year and, and and be a playoff team, I I think Anthony Davis the the sky's the limit as far as this guy getting better. But he can really do it all, and uh, and for a guy his size to be able to do it all, um, there aren't many like him. So I I think Anthony Davis is gonna is gonna be a you know a transformative player whether the the public latches on to him the way they they would latch onto a a guy with maybe more personality like LeBron James um or or a guy with more flair like Derrick Rose a few years back or or Kyrie I, I don't think that that's going to happen but uh but as far as appreciation for skill level and uh and, and the numbers that he'll put up I think he's going to be number 1 right in the in the top of the MVP consideration uh race this year and and number 2 he's going to become a, a player that that people, especially purists, recognize is is almost a once-in-a-generation player.
1: Nate Duncan, who is your favorite player in the league who you don't think will make an all-star team this year?
5: I'm going to go with Marcus Smart of the Celtics. I, I love watching him defend. He's one of the best guard defenders to come out of college in a long time. Uh, he shot the ball much better last year than you would have expected. Uh, given what he did at Oklahoma State, he's made some real strides there with his form. And I think now, especially because he was derailed in the first half of the year with an ankle injury, I think that he can do a lot more in pick and roll and attack the basket more than we've seen from him. I think he's going to, especially just from a fun to watch standpoint, defensively, someone I'm really going to enjoy this year.
1: Coach Nick, who runs the best stuff in the league and who runs the most predictable stuff? (laughs) Well, Uh, that's a great question.
0: I mean, you know, there's a, the list is a little bit long these days of who runs the best stuff because they're all sort of running the same good stuff. Uh, and it starts with, uh, you know, the warriors, uh, are right there and they, and and we're going to do a big breakdown by the way. So everyone should stay tuned because everyone's running action out of the triangle offense and everyone wants to complain and say that the triangle offense is old and dead. But everybody has actions they run right out of that offense. And the Warriors are right there using a lot of dribble pitch and a lot of pinch post action to get terrific shots for their guys. And it's very clever. Uh, the Bulls are also, with, with what Hoiberg is doing, are running some really, really clever stuff. And uh, I really enjoy watching that. And, of course, you have the Spurs. And then you have the, the Hawks who are basically doing the Spurs stuff uh, as well. So, uh, you know, those are the, the, the highlights that jump out at me right away. And, um, you know, it's – I don't think we've ever had in certainly in the last, like, 15 years sort of this many teams that run system offense that works um, with, you know, movement side to side, weak side action, dribble pitch, uh, high post,
1: cutting. You know, it's really a pleasure. Danny LaRue, can you tell me a huge
3: roster move that we
1: could expect to see this year?
3: I think that while they can't make a move right now because they don't know who's going to be healthy – if the Bulls can decide to move one of their front court pieces, that changes two teams potentially in the title picture because whoever they trade, whether it's Pau Gasol, who's on functionally an expiring contract because he's on a cheap deal and he has a player option, or Taj Gibson, or maybe even Yoakim Noah, whoever of that that they that they could conceptually move because they have so much depth there. That player, if they go on to another good team, which would be the expectation, they completely change that other team too. So I would say that because this is a year where we'll see. I think we'll see a lot of teams want to stay close to the vest just because they'll be so optimistic about what they can do next summer, whether that is well-founded or poorly founded. But the Bulls, because some of those guys are on expiring contracts and they have so much talent, in February they should be able to know that they can move one of them. And totally changed the title picture in two ways.
1: Chris Sheridan, how about for you? Same question. Huge roster move that we could expect to see this year.
4: I, I think it's got to come from Danny Ainge, who's sitting on so many draft picks and so many, uh, so much duplication at so many positions. Um, you know, they got more point guards than they, than they know what to do with. Marcus Smart's going to start, but Isaiah Thomas is a pretty good player in his own right. Uh, you know, how are you going to have those two guys uh, coexist? They, they're bigs. David Lee and Amir Johnson came in. Jared Selinger, um is, is a pretty decent player. If he can keep his weight down, uh, he might be a candidate to get moved because David the agent, is trying to get him a max contract. Um, They've they just, you know, they got Tyler Zeller, Kelly Olen- uh, Olenek at the at the center position, and and Danny has draft picks, you know, of the yin yang that, that that he can move. So at a certain point, he wants Danny. Danny wants to move, you know, a vocal full of players for a great player. And if there's a great player that becomes available over the course of the season, I think probably uh, Danny is better equipped than any GM in the league to to load up the wheelbarrow and say, "Here, take these four guys and these four picks, and I'll take on uh, your difficult superstar."
1: Nate Duncan, I want to pose the same question for you. Can you make a prediction on a roster move we could see this year?
5: I agree with what Chris was saying that Boston has the pieces to try and move. There are a lot of teams that are accumulating assets, the Sixers being another one who might want to trade for a superstar. I'm just not sure who that disgruntled superstar is. There was some thought that it might be DeMarcus Cousins, but I think with the Kings moving into a new building now, uh, supposedly they're trying to patch things up. We'll see how that goes, but
2: there's no way that
5: they can trade a top 10 player in the league and Cousins to kind of start over when they're moving into a new building. I think they have to, and they still have him under contract for another three years after this one. So, I think we'll probably be limited more to kind of deck shuffling moves along the lines as we saw at last year's free agent or uh, trade deadline. Guys who are on the last year's their contracts are, but are on bad teams. You know, if the Hornets fall out of it, uh, Nicholas Batum and Al Jefferson could be moved. Uh, Joe Johnson, I think, is more likely to get bought out than traded, but he could be an option as well for the Nets. Gerald Henderson in Portland. Roy Hibbert in L.A. If they disappoint, he's someone who might be able to help a contender. They could move him. Zaza well Petrulia in Dallas, same thing. Especially if they try to tank to save their top seven protected pick that they owed to Boston from the Rajon Rondo trade. And then Evan Fournier is a guy who I think can help a team, but he's kind of backed up on the wing with some of the guys that they brought in in Orlando, and will be a restricted free agent. They could try to see if they can't get something for him as well. But I don't see any enormous moves happening at this year's trade deadline
1: i want to get into some predictions right now and then uh, give you each a chance to promote your own individual podcast so let's run through some predictions we'll go through each guy take about 30 seconds to explain their answer first up chris sheridan i want to start with you nba finals matchup your prediction is
4: cleveland cavaliers against the golden state warriors rematch why because Golden State won 67 games last year. Golden State brings back the same team, maybe a little bit improved, like I said, with Jason Thompson in there instead of uh, David Lee. They killed teams last year, and they played in a a very, very, very tough conference. They won 67 games playing in in that beast of a conference, and and they come back with the same team. Again, the the question with them is, are they hungry? But if they are, I think Golden State, you can't really pick against them at this point. And as I said earlier in the podcast, Cleveland has no competition, so Cleveland's getting there too.
1: Nate Duncan?
5: I'm going to agree with Chris. Uh, Cleveland, Golden State, my number two in the West would be Oklahoma City. I, and uh, when we get to the next question, I might explain a little bit more about why I think Oklahoma City is going to be awesome this year.
3: That's
1: perfect. Danny LaRue, go ahead.
3: Same finals. I think that Cleveland is by far the class of the East. I don't think they even need to have a full a full roster to to beat everybody else there just like they didn't have to last year. And the Warriors are not only the best regular season team, but they are a team that is very hard to knock out in a seven-game series because there are so many different variants that they can throw at you. And something we saw last year is that once they figure a team out, they generally can, can wipe them out pretty cleanly. They looked rough early in series, and I don't see any reason to expect that to change, especially when so many of the other teams have more turmoil.
1: And Coach Nick, for you, NBA Finals matchup.
0: I mean, there's an awful lot of disrespect going on in the East, especially for the Bulls here if you're going to dismiss them. And so I'm going to be the iconoclast here and say that the Bulls do match up pretty well with the Cavs. And if they could get, figure out their rotations well enough, they could easily beat them. I don't think that that's so clear cut at all. And so I'll would, I would say the Bulls can make it to the finals. And I'm going to go with the Rockets. I'm really, really intrigued by what I see with Ty Lawson and how he's being able to take away – so much of that pressure that James Harden had to deal with, uh, being the sole focus uh, focal point that offense, and uh, we've seen them. They don't give up. They uh, they are well coached ultimately, and um, you know I, I think they're going to get the finals.
1: I like contrarian Nick, maybe even more than than Coach Nick. I like that. <laughs> Chris Sheridan, MVP, and your MVP runner-up, and why?
4: Boy, good question. Uh, you know
1: I. I think James Harden,
4: uh, you know, kind of echoing something the coach said, is with with, with Ty Lawson taking away some of the ball-handling chores from him, his turnovers are going to go down. Um, but he's still going to have the the ball in his hands an awful lot, and he's going to be in a better position to score. I, I think James Harden is primed for an MVP season. I, I think he can put up the same kind of numbers he put up last year, and if he cuts down on the turnovers um, and, and Houston finishes – Uh, Somewhere you know north of 60 wins, uh, I think James Harden can be the MVP this year. Um, Runner-up, I got to give to LeBron James because I I think his team's going to win 62 games. I think they're somewhere around 62 and 20. He's you know the best player on the planet, and he's also the second best player on the planet. But guys kind of get tired of voting for the same guy over and over again. So, uh, but right now I'd say Harden and uh, LeBron are my one-two. Okay, Nate
1: Duncan, MVP and MVP runner-up. Kevin Durant
5: is my MVP. His 2014 was way better than what anyone did in 2015. Although I, I was a big Steph Curry proponent and still am, he's he's my runner-up. But KD looks like he's back. If he if he stays healthy, I think he's going to be uh, the runaway best player in the league. I think that LeBron has already lost a step last year. I uh, thought his Finals was a little bit overrated when you looked at. Both his own efficiency and what the Cavs did—they basically scored at a Sixers level rate in the finals. Uh, I, I don't—I think this is going to be the year that he, we stop saying that he's the best player in the world. And I think Steph Curry is going to be my number two. He looks awesome so far in preseason. Uh, he he's, has a pretty good health record since those ankle issues years ago, and uh, you know I think the Warriors are going to be really good again. So I, that's Durant number one, uh, Curry
1: number two for me. Well, wow, you're really going to fire up LeBron James. I spoke to a few reporters last year who told me that LeBron could not understand, despite missing a large chunk of the season, could not understand why Steph Curry won the MVP. It was it was baffling to him. Uh, Danny LaRue, ahead. The other ahead. reason I would say, sorry, Adam, is uh,
5: that I don't think that he'll be in the mix. I think Cleveland's really going to struggle with just all the injuries that they have at the start of the year. And I think they probably are not going to get the number one seed uh, in the regular season. So since it's a regular season award, uh, I think that the Cavs are going to be a little bit below expectations, maybe not even through LeBron's fault. And so that's another reason that I don't think he's going to be in the mix
1: necessarily. Oh, great. And I wasn't knocking your your call, just saying that you might fire up uh, King James. Uh, Danny LaRue, MVP and MVP runner-up for you.
3: I think LeBron wins the award partially because the MVP often does not go to the most deserving player, and LeBron's narrative is really really easy. He's going to be the guy, especially because early in the year, if the Cavs outperform expectations, which I think they will, I think they'll be pretty solid without Kyrie, even though Kyrie's a wonderful player. And number two, it's a dogfight. There's a treasure trove of guys. Right now I'm leaning towards Stephen Curry. He is the best offensive player in the league. He's a dominant force and the Warriors are going to be really good. So I think that he's there, and I, I'll put them second. The other player that I think is going to get a lot of buzz is Anthony Davis because he his counting stats and all of those numbers will be good, and his narrative is, is also good because he is the alpha and the omega with that team, which is something you always look for in an MVP. He's the most famous player. He's the best player. But it's really hard to give the MVP – to a guy on a team probably in the bottom four of the playoffs when there are talented MVP candidates on the top teams in the West.
1: Okay. And Coach Nick, for you, MVP and MVP runner-ups.
0: Uh, I was about to have the, the, the Anthony Davis uh, pick when no one else had said, I thought maybe I was going to be the one guy. So uh, I guess I'm lucky in my order. Uh, I think that Anthony Davis, without question, could be that guy that carries the team. And if they uh, if they get anything above expectation, right, then I think that gets them right into the conversation for number one. That's the narrative that people might like. Which is the other thing, which is hard to you know, it's hard to repeat. I guess we saw Nash do it as that from the guard spot. So I suppose Curry could do it, but I don't know. Like, can't we think? And by the way, one problem I have with OKC is that they cancel each other out. So either West – the only reason why. Durant won it was because Westbrook was injured for a lot of that season. He was able to do what he could do. But I think that the Clippers, uh, I think that maybe Blake Griffin, uh, I I don't know. My my memory is short. So what I remember is him last night destroying uh, the team in the first quarter, (laughs) and everything looks good, and he can do a lot of things out there. So why can't we have him in that discussion for, like, the second or the third place in the MVP voting?
1: Sure. Why not? And just so we can get this moving along, just the name, your Rookie of the Year, Chris Sheridan?
4: Either Stanley Johnson or Emmanuel Moutier. Stanley, if the Pistons make the playoffs.
1: Nate Duncan?
5: Carl Towns uh, will be the best rookie, but the person
1: who will win it will be Julio Okafor. Okay. Danny LaRue? Julio Okafor. And Coach Nick?
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess I'll say Okafor.
1: I thought you guys were great today. I, I really uh, want you just to have a chance now. Just explain – your podcast and you know in a brief way, but tell us a little bit about what what people are going to get to hear on your individual podcast, Chris Sheridan, we could start with you, the sheridan hoops radio podcast
4: sure adam you know i I go on radio stations all over the country, I go on national broadcasts and i and I post those to blog talk radio as my podcast so uh when you go to sheridan hoops and you and you click on on podcasts uh you you'll you have a good chance of me uh being on in any one of the thirty n b a markets or or talking general NBA stuff, but uh, with a national outlet. So you'll get a little bit of everything on my podcast and and you'll get my insight. I've been covering the league for 25 years. I guess turned 50 this year. So I think I've got another 25 years left in me and, uh, and, and hopefully my insight is, uh, is on target.
1: Nate Duncan, host of the dunked on podcast. What can we expect to hear?
5: Well, so we do a lot of salary cap analysis, really detailed breakdowns uh during the season we record really late at night uh pacific time so it's there for you for your commute uh the next morning uh five days a week is going to be the goal this year uh, danny is also on uh, as a frequent co-host as well so you can hear him on there uh and we just try to uh, be the most in-depth nba podcast that's out there
1: awesome danny larue
3: your real gm podcast yeah, so Real Gym Radio is a weekly podcast, and I try to go in-depth with a single guest, and we talk about what is going on, but also what is going ahead, and try to try to get have a, a full conversation, try to do an hour or so that goes into some depth on a real issue, and that is different from anything you'll hear anywhere else. And Coach Nick, B-Ball Breakdown Podcast.
0: Well, you know, coming from a coach's perspective, when I do my stuff, we'll have guys. I just had, uh, you know, actually Spencer Dinwiddie on the show. So we're going to get some NBA guys, players, to talk about the fundamentals, which is a real interesting conversation that you don't often hear. Uh, And then we get coaches and we get, um, you know, beat writers, and national guys on to talk about the in-depth stuff as well. And then also, as part of my umbrella, we have Snotty Drippin, who is, uh, you might remember him from the Temecula uh, incident on Twitter, who also does a podcast on our show and it's a much more of a free-flowing uh you know entertaining podcast So we have a nice variance going on there i'm adam steco i host
1: the great point podcast and i'm hoping to get you all on as guests i have coaches players analysts and do some in-depth interviews and really try to get to know how people got started in in the world of basketball what their influences were and uh really tell some great stories so i'm hoping to get each of you guys on you were all terrific today and uh you're all very talented, so I think you should all be pleased with, with what we put out thus far. Guys, any, any other last comments from you?
4: Sheridan, I'll go, I'll go first. It's, a, it's an interesting season in that there's not a, a dominant preseason storyline. like uh, Of course, nothing like what we had last year with, with the Cavs getting LeBron back. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what becomes the, the thing that people want to talk about. And we're not going to be able to say this for much longer, but I'll say it now. Watch out for Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's one of the one of the best players I've ever seen play the game. He's right up there with Michael Jordan. I don't think he's finished. Um, and and if he's playing anywhere near 30 to 32 minutes a night, I, I think he can be up there, maybe not in contention for the scoring title, but as a guy who's putting up 24, 25 points a game. And people love to talk about the Lakers. They love it more than maybe any other team in the whole NBA. And I think we'll be talking about Kobe Bryant more this
5: year than maybe a lot of people are predicting this preseason
1: awesome. Nate Duncan, any final
3: thoughts from you?
5: I can't wait to watch Oklahoma City and Golden State play against each other. That's going to be amazing.
3: Danny LaRue? I love the balance that we have at the top this year and that All of these teams, especially if Cleveland can progress offensively, they're really fun to watch. And so there's a reason to to follow every team this year. I think that if you're a league pass aficionado, this will be one of the best years in the last decade to follow the entire NBA. But once we get to the playoffs, the top end is going to be incredible as well. And Coach Nick Alderman, how about for you?
0: I got my eye on, on Cleveland, but for the other reasons, because I want to see how the David Blatt, LeBron James relationship progresses because You know, we've seen and heard all all sorts of interesting things about how negative it was. And I don't know if it's improved or not. And I think that that could ultimately hold them back if they can't get on the
1: same page. Well, I love it all. You guys have been awesome. It's been terrific. Follow Chris Sheridan at Sheridan Hoops. Follow Nate Duncan at Nate Duncan NBA. Follow Danny LaRue at Danny LaRue, L E R O U X. And follow Coach Nick at B Ball Breakdown. And you can follow me, Adam Stanko, at. Smith lives guys it's been a blast and uh hopefully we can do it again soon
2: thanks again for listening even though adam went over it i'll go over it one more time because people are worth following nate duncan is nate duncan nba host the dunked on podcast coach nick is at bball breakdown and he helps run Ball breakdown which is an excellent site that i'm lucky enough to contribute to sometimes chris sheridan is the publisher and editor of of hoops.com. you can follow him at SheridanHoops, and then Adam Stanko hosts the Great Point Podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at NaismithLives, N-A-I-S-M-I-T-H-L-I-V-E-S. Thanks so much for listening, gonna have a lot of great Real GM radio content out there. I already recorded with Seth Partnow of the Nylon Calculus, we did a season preview, went on to a whole bunch of stuff, that's already out, and right around the same time this comes out, I just did the long-awaited Pacific Division podcast with the one and only Baxter Holmes of ESPN. So we go into the off-season review and the preview for the Pacific, which is one of the more compelling divisions in the league. So hope you listen to that and I'm planning on having one more podcast before the start of the year, but as those of you who know me know, I do not tell you who my guests are until we've recorded just in case something happens. I don't want to disappoint you. If you have any feedback, you can reach out to me at Danny LaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. You can also hit me up on email. Danny Leroux MBA is an account I set up recently, and I read everything it it Forwards and everything like that, so it's pretty easy for me to handle. I'm I'm very happy with it so far. So if you have kind of a longer question, I, I like that people can speak to that. I actually do respond to things. And the other thing that I'll mention right now, beyond all the other great content at Real GM and the Sporting News and everywhere else I'm lucky enough to write is I have a Facebook page now, which is, again, Danny LaRue NBA, where it coalesces everything that I do. So whether that's a podcast or it's a, a piece or anything else, you know, a, a roundtable that I contribute to. So if you if you're one of those people who likes to know what I do, you can like me there. And also, I recently started a mailing list, which will go out once a week. It is all of my material over the week and also recommendations. I'm over the, over the last couple weeks as I started it, I'm kind of trying to find a voice with it because, you know, it, it's not as timely because it's a weekly thing, but so trying to get material that is worth your attention, but also that is interesting. So if you want to do that, you can sign up. There should be a link on my, on my Twitter page. There's definitely one on my Facebook page. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.